Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we are at episode 45. Mm-hmm. And we welcome you to that episode. And today we're going to talk about how Americans' views of Christianity are changing and how uh, Christians are engaging, how, they, how the way they engage at church or with church is changing. We have some massive research just released this week. And we're going to study that research and the data and see what that's telling us about Christianity in America and maybe how the church needs to shift to engage more effectively with human beings. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. We had an episode about kind of the future of American Christianity. Yeah. But this we have we have new numbers, brand new, new fresh data, and it's really interesting. So I yeah. think it'll be a compelling conversation and hopefully it'll give us some hope for the spiritual future of our land. So, uh, before we do that, it is joke and or story time. And John, what did you bring into the table today? A story. So last right. time you told the story of how you met mom and your guys' first date. and uh, Some of which I regret, by the way. Really? I do. Why ever for? Um, <laughs> that's, I would regret telling you why. So <laughs> okay, let's just leave it at that. Well, I'll go ahead and... Solidarity. Please do. I'll, yes. I'll I'll tell my story and we'll yeah. see if I get. Yeah, you mad weren't. I don't think you weren't. Uh, your story's not going to bring up tough memories for Lindsay. Well, no, I don't think so. I don't think. It or will. at least not. Um, we'll get to it. All right, let's hear. So, it. Uh, similar to you, uh, Lindsay is a grade above me. We are in the dorms and we're on brother and sister floor. Okay, so all that checks out. That's nice. Yeah, in the same building. In the same building. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they were hosting. Um, uh, movie nights for the brother and sister floor. Oh. So so they would come over in the lounge. The lounge was, you know, in, in the the floor. You could be there till right. 8 p.m., I think. Okay. And Gender mixed yeah. till 8 p.m. Yeah, and this is, you know, a Christian college, but in 2015, that's different. It's yeah. a lot different. So and there was... Who had the rights to the, to the room when it couldn't be gender mixed? No one could use it, or only guys could use it. That's that's what I was going to say. Is there wasn't really a curfew? I don't think so. Guys could be out there till you know the sun came up, but girls could not enter that room because it was located on the guys' floor. Yeah, so it's the whole hallway um, of dorm rooms, and in the middle is this little um, like like courtyard basically, but with a ceiling. So it's not outside, but but just a little like annex. Sure, Uh, and the bathrooms are there and everything. So uh, everyone shared those bathrooms. Each dorm room didn't have their own bathrooms. Um, but it was it was definitely on the guy's floor. And the bummer of it was the girls' floor didn't actually have a lounge. It was Right, all so they rooms. got hosed. Right. So they could only... Well, Still a male-dominated world. It's true. And in a school that has mostly women. Women, yeah. yeah. But there is a huge lounge in the What's building. What's the percentage in there of women to men at the university, say, when you were there? Um, Do you remember? I never knew the figures, but it was distinctly is female. It, you know, like fifty five, forty five, or is it even more? I'd say sixty forty, probably. Really? Maybe, maybe even worse. But that's that's the that uh, presented a target rich environment for you. Well, it worked out. I guess <laughs> I would need a target rich environment to for it to work. You, out. Yeah, you probably would. All right. So uh, anyway, you're you're you. It's movie night. Movie night. Yeah, and uh, so we're watching Harry Potter, and Lindsay loves Harry Potter. And uh, I read 
in middle school, I read three of the books and then just kind of dropped off. It okay, was, so now at this point, mm-hmm. how well do you know her? I, this, I've never met her before. You've never met her before this no. moment? Yeah. You're watching Harry Potter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm making fun of the movie because, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't really care all that much at right, the time. Right, right. And uh, Lindsay's a huge Harry Potter fan. And this makes it even funnier. I don't even know if she remembers this. She probably couldn't even hear me. It was a small room, uh, but lots and lots of jokes. Um, and uh, You're just letting them fly to the yeah, back? Yeah, yeah. And you know you know me. Yeah. They're, they're landing. People are laughing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so I know basically. You were on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a small room. So there's there's maybe like 12 people in there. Oh, really? And yeah. and This uh, brother-sister event drew 12? It's a. Yeah, yeah, small place, man. Well, that's not everybody, though. That's not even... No. I mean, your floor has 40 guys on it. No, the Ducks floor, my floor, the 500 Ducks, was the smallest on campus. So how many How many guys on that floor? Two per room, and there's... So there's probably 20 guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and the, correspondingly, and at least well, 20 girls well, on their the floor. Well, the girls floor is actually standard size, so theirs was a lot bigger. Yeah, so say 30. Yeah, you're right. You're so right. there's a possible... A possible... Uh, what is that? Fifty people, it's just and never, you drew twelve. It's just never how it panned out. I don't okay. know. You had the socially engaged. My friend group, uh, coincidentally, was called Clicky because we happened to be socially engaged, and some people weren't. That's mm. my take on it. They I was were because I'm part of the they click. Were jealous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. So twelve so I, people in I the know, room. You're cracking jokes in the back, but it's a small crowd, so you yeah. could be overheard. Yeah, but Lynn, I don't think she remembers the jokes. Uh, but anyway, point being that I generally, because I don't have the best social skills, sometimes. If I don't know a person in like a whole room of people that I do know, I don't introduce myself. I just kind of, you know, I just kind yeah. of avoid them. So I never noticed that except right at first. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, Lindsay's maybe the only one there that I don't actually know. And, and I so just, you're avoiding her. Right. I never look at her. And I'm aware of the one person I don't know, but I actually never once. like You actually, couldn't have drawn her face. You wouldn't have been able to tell right. the police what she looked like. Right. So then after the movie, uh, everyone decides to do a Taco Bell run. The Taco Bell, you know, maybe five miles from the school. And by the way, anyone from Taco Bell corporate is listening to this. Build one next to a university. Yeah. We it's had one at Evangel money. right across the street. Yeah, so we, we just had to walk across oh my the street. Goodness. We had to hike and we would because we're hungry college kids yeah. up till the wee hours of the morn. But man, if there was one right there, yeah. it'd be unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we go there and we all split up, you know, because no one has a 12 seater car. And, uh, and I end up in Lindsay's car in the front seat. And, uh, and how know, did that happen? I don't know. Did you subconsciously choose to be in the front seat of this car with this woman you had not known? I don't. I honestly, have no I mean, idea the front it was, seat, that's a prominent spot. Front seat. Well, because I'm the tallest, you know, it, oh, it was you a, needed the leg room. Three, three girls, Lindsay and two others. I don't even remember. And, they, and I just ended up in their car. So they and you like, still don't remember who they were. I remember one of them because uh, she was on the floor a lot. Uh, but no, not really. And they said, okay. you know, you take the front seat because tall guy. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. And uh, and same thing where. Uh, me and Lindsay both being awkward. We're not really talking to each other, and I'm talking to the two ladies in the back just because we're, you know, we're driving. And did you know these girls time. before well, that? Like, like I said, one of them because yeah. she was okay. you know, very social. She was around all the time. All right, so you kind of are talking. Yeah, just you know, she's quietly driving the car. Yeah, and then so you had said this is funny that your buddies. You told your buddies that you had no intention to keep dating this other mm-hmm. woman, and they didn't keep it to themselves. Right. Lindsay, after that night, told her roommate that she liked me. Really? And I, we didn't, we shared maybe three words. I, I made one joke to Lindsay. I remember this. I don't think she remembers this. We're behind a Volkswagen that has Volkswagen paraphernalia all on the back window. Mm-hmm. And I say, do you think this guy likes Volkswagens? And she goes, huh. 
And, <laughs> and you won her with I your know. humor. Yeah. yeah. So that was your totality of interaction. That was the whole first time. And she met. tells her friend, I like this guy. Yeah, because, well, because she overheard me talking to these people, you know, in, in the car. So saying that I, uh, um, play they ask if i play instruments i say i play the bass she likes she has always wanted to date a musician because uh, she's a musician she values right that. um uh, i have a beard which i guess was on her checklist mm-hmm. uh, uh i make a pixar joke i don't even remember that it was a, an up reference and she obviously she loves it's a great movie yeah, she loves, loves that, that movie. movie so it was just you know just anyway bam, bam, bam. her friend this does, guy's awesome i guess yeah and her friend doesn't let that sit for more than a second before telling everyone on my floor. And I obviously hear about it probably no less than a day later. And you're like, wait, Lindsay. Right. It was like, I think it's that person. who Is that I, the gal that drove the car? Right. It was process of elimination. I was like, well, the only person I didn't know mm-hmm. was, you know. So anyway, uh, but the good news is if they had well, all of that's that, good news. Yeah, of course it is. Because if they hadn't done that, then, who, you know, I probably right. never would have made any moves. So, right. uh, you know, we start hanging out. Uh, we watch, you know, I think my my head's like scrambled eggs with some of this stuff. It, you know, college is like a, it all goes. It's a blur. Somewhere. Yeah, it's a blur. First ever date is uh, we go to this coffee shop in Kirkland that I loved. One of my favorites of all time. And I recently learned that they're not open anymore. It broke my heart. And how well, did this occur? You you reached out to her and said, hey, I heard you like me. Want to go get coffee? <laughs> no, not that forward. Come on. Well, how did it happen? Um. That's like that's probably how Chris Hansen asks someone out. Is like <laughs> who's Chris Hansen, the Catch a Predator guy? Why don't you take a seat? That guy, Chris Hansen. Uh, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. They fish guys who are trying to go on dates with little girls. They pretend to be little girls, and then oh. they show up to the house. Chris Hansen's there, and he says, "Why don't you take a seat?" Oh, that's probably how he asks that woman. I've heard you like me. Yes. Why don't we go? To so coffee? what did you do? Did you ask her out through a friend, or did you directly no, I, speak to her? I I spoke to her, and you said, "I don't I have no something idea." Something like, "I have no idea." Hey, want to go watch Star Wars? No, so that's what I'm, I'm, I apologize. I, uh, that was later. Oh, right. You want to go to my we favorite want, coffee shop? This coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's called Aura Bakery. Man, I miss it. It was so good. <laughs> anyway, so we go down there. Really, really, really awkward. And I, th- I like to think that I'm socially okay, at least. Yeah. But like the well that I go to for any kind of funny or relevant anything it was just dry. ran dry it was, yeah. it was out and so you would have thought we were two like kindergartners and full-grown bodies like <laughs> having some conversation <laughs> she was very awkward too I, I'll, I'll spread the blame yeah and uh and this is like um i think you can testify we're very compatible yes you are it just was not a uh it was not an the cylinders weren't hidden exactly yeah. exactly so that and maybe because you both were nervous because it was the first time I'm sure. to be in a space all alone and who's going to carry this conversation and what am I going to have to do? Yeah. And she, what do we talk about? That thing you said where if you go on more than three dates, people assume you're married. Yeah. That gave her a lot of social pressure. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of added a whole nother layer of unwanted stuff to the yeah. thing. Anyway, uh, there was that. Then we go to, uh, like a week later we went to this Thai restaurant. Then like a week later we go to the, um, what are the, in the these falls nearby where uh, actually Ken Rice's Snoqualmie Falls? Snoqualmie, yeah. How? What was the? So if it was eighty percent awkward at the coffee, then you go to the Thai place. What was the percent of awkward that night? Uh, still eighty. It was a it really was like an eighty, maybe like a seventy-nine. Really, it very gradually decreased. A month after that, we had you. You actually made me have a DTR with Lindsay because you know I didn't make you. I, you were a grown man. 
I strongly encouraged. Strongly encouraged. And I texted Lindsay, like, should we do a DTR? She said, not over text. And so so then uh, it was the night that Daredevil Season 2 came out. It was a Sunday because we were going to get – we both loved Season 1. We were going to watch the beginning of of Episode 1 of Season 2 and yeah. then go, and then go have, and a have a DTR. And, uh, and this is after three dates. No, it's after a month. So a month of whenever so we four could. Days. Hanging out. I don't remember. Well, you had the coffee. A week later, you had the Thai food. A week later, you had the, the falls. But I don't the falls. I don't remember if that was before. Let me after, ask you: really. When you're walking the falls with her, are you holding her hand? No, no, no physical contact. No what, physical what contact. Was the, what was the awkward degreeness uh, of the falls? You you went eighty seventy nine. I don't remember it that well. You know, it's not like watching a movie for me. It's like a bunch of photos that that have no dates on them. Right. I do remember going to Star Wars was before, and there was no physical contact before the DTR. And then, uh, actually... And why did I tell you you should have a DTR after four awkward dates? Well, the, I don't know if it was four awkward dates. It might have been a lot more. In I fact, remember asking you some questions. That's what it was. I asked you some questions, and I said, do you like this girl? Well, I think I do. Are you dating her? Well, I don't know if I'm dating her. Is, would she say, I said, if a friend asked her, are you dating John? What would she say? And you said, I'm not sure what she would say. And so that's when I said, well, maybe you guys ought to talk about this because you didn't know how to answer some basic questions with confidence. Yeah, yeah I remember that now. Yeah. And actually, redacting a few things. It was actually, I met her beginning of February, late January. We started dating March 20th. So that's almost three months later. So of, of just talking and hanging out. You met her at the beginning of what? February. Oh, so that's two months. End of March. All of February, all of March. That's two months. You're right. Two months. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when, so your DTR is at March 20. Is that when you declared we're dating? Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 I believe so. Yes. Because, yeah, that was a Monday. Yeah. Anyway, then a month after that, we go on this big, nice date. And that's when things I feel like more finally clicked. Yeah. And, uh, and then that from then on that whole summer, it was all just fireworks and it was beautiful. Now, when, where in that sequence did she invite you to, what was it called? Uh, to roomies, roomies, which was the same thing. Women ask. Yeah. Uh, it, it actually swapped first semester was guys ask second semester was women ask. And, uh, um, that was the night of the star Wars thing. That was before the DTR. Okay. So, uh, that's the night I realized she's way more into this than you think she is because <laughs> She had this elaborate sign to invite you. It was hilarious. It was awesome. So super creative, nerd-themed. I mean, she nailed you and her perfectly in this invitation card, this sign she held out. And so I'm like, hey, dude, if you don't think you're dating her, you're missing this by a mile because I guarantee you she thinks she's dating you. Yeah. And so that's pretty, uh, pretty awesome. That was very courageous of her to show her hand, I thought, with the roomies invite. And yeah. what Christian college calls uh, the girl guy date a roomies night? Are you supposed to roommate together? What is that? I, uh, what oh, in the world because, was I paying money no, for? No, you're right. You're right. Roomies is your roommate asks your date for you. Oh. That's why it's called roomies. This other one was uh, something else. You would think I got hit in the head by a horse or something. <laughs> uh, it was called... Um, I have no idea. It wasn't Sadie Hawkins, but no. it was something else. And it was way it was formal. Roomies. I was about is, to say, man, she's they're they're telling you to have a roomies night no, together. That's, no, roomies what is, the heck your, is that? your roommate asks out the person for you. Okay. And uh and it's really casual. You go bowling or something. This one It was very formal. You wore your Texas formal. Texas, Texas dress. dress. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Lindsay was a knockout, it was great. it was this big cruise that go went around the the sound around Seattle. 
I've read Princess Cruise. No, that's the actual cruise line. The, Aragon is, or something. Ar- something. Who, uh, we don't who, need to advertise for anyway, them. But anyway, yeah. So, and that's, yeah. Yeah. But that's awesome. I hope so. I feel like I butchered the heck out of that. Well, I thing. interrupted all your stories. It's totally my fault. No, I wouldn't worry about it. But it was, uh, it's fun to hear. It's fun to replay all the tapes on that. Yeah. And, and my biggest concern now is that it sounds like I was just like, well, this is my wife now. <laughs> and it's like, that's not how it went. No, there were fireworks in your heart. This was a deep matter. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, if I remember this right, after the DTR, mm-hmm. you had her shake on it. Right. I tried. She refused. Oh, yeah. You, you said, well, let's shake on it. Yeah, it was because even in the even Cause it was then it was moment. still awkward, and so yeah. I said, "I said, shake on it." She said, "Absolutely not." <laughs> and so, <laughs> I didn't. So that's uh, that's how I met my wife, not. and that's how we that. started dating. Yeah, and yeah. you guys are really awesome. It's a great, it's a great fun, it's a fun relationship to watch because there's such such incredible compatibility there. Yeah, I'm very very and lucky. Guy. There needs to be because that way you you guys can minimize the awkward to try to solve incompatibilities. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this research. So the Barna Research Group came out with a report just last week, and it's about Americans and church and how uh, Americans view of church is changing. And over the last 20 years, they have surveyed 96,171 people. Mm -hmm. So this is an ongoing study they've been doing for 20 years, tracking um, faith in America and how Americans engage. So Really, what they're trying to figure out is what faith means in the 21st century and the role of Christianity um, in our lives. And who published this research? The Barna Research Barna. Group. Yeah. And, and how many was that? Uh, was the survey? Well, there was 96,171 over the last 20 years. So I don't gotcha. know. I think gotcha. they're, gotcha. yeah, I think they're surveying the same people sure. often to see if their views are changing. And that I, I can't speak. That's okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. Uh, what they found is that today, 2020, uh, one in four Americans is what they would call a practicing Christian. Mm-hmm. One in four. So 25% of Americans are practicing Christians. Statistically. Yes. Well, that's, I mean, uh, they believe that their uh, research methods are valid and that that would be. Well, I mean, I mean, the statistic term is practicing. What's their criteria for practicing Christian? Oh, well, let's get to that. Uh, first, let me tell you that 20 years ago, that percentage was 45%. Whoa. So it's dropped by nearly half in 20 years. Dang. That's the big headline. And the question is, where did they go? So they have uh, three categories. You have a practicing Christian. You have a non-practicing Christian. And you have a non-Christian. Mm-hmm. They could fall in one of those three categories. A practicing Christian is defined by this, three items. They declare themselves to be a Christian. They um, engage in their faith, meaning Bible reading, prayer, things like that. And they regularly attend church. Now, this is a Barna definition because they wanted to put people in categories. Sure. So if if they if you fit their description of a practicing Christian, 25% of Americans are. That means they declare themselves to be Christians, they engage in their own faith journey, and they regularly attend church that's pretty solid if you fail any one of those three you fall into the non-practicing christian and they don't mention um giving like financial uh uh, giving no they don't attach any generosity to any of this sure that's really interesting now that you mention that so we lost almost half in 20 years and the question is where did they go right if they're the same people these people who change who that's right not surveying new well you go from 45 right and it drops to 25. So that 20% that disappeared 
did they become, here's the more specific question, did they become non-practicing Christians or did they fall all the way to non-Christian? Mm-hmm. What's your gut feeling on that before I tell you the, the data? Oh, um, I would assume, um, I would, I'm going to say that those 20% did not have a crisis of faith where they said, I'm not, I don't believe this anymore. Mm. I'm going to say that instead, um, they lapsed in one of those three categories and statistically changed categories because their behaviors changed. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think it, many of them would have had a crisis of, so for them to become non-practicing Christians, they would have had to hold on to the self declaration that I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they lapsed in one of the other two, either faith practice or church attendance. Yes, yeah, so I'd say they fall into non-practicing is what happened the majority of those 20%. Okay. That would be, would be my guess. And let me, let me ask you this. What do you think is the, what's the explanation for this plummet? That is the most rapid 20-year plummet in American history. Why? Uh, one, I treat that data very carefully because I don't know how long we've been doing these numbers, right? Like there's no way before 1920 we were doing surveys on Christians. So that's 100 years. Um, Well, you know that uh, anecdotally, though, the country was far more uh, faith engaged as a country. Sure. Prior to these days. Yeah. I'm just saying we don't have the data is we can't really compare it. So it might not be the greatest dip ever. Right. We don't know. But with it, it certainly is a reversal of history. And so why they would have, if I'm right, why they shifted into non-practicing. Why those 20 years? What's going on in those 20 years that creates such a plummet? that almost half of your practicing right. Christians go away. What happened in those 20 years uh, that might lead to such a thing? I, that one, I don't know. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, we'll have uh, some theories here shortly. Sure. sure. Um, some talk about social media engagement. I was uh, going to say mostly the internet because that's the biggest, that shift. is the biggest shift that and social media, the biggest two shifts during that 20 years and cell phones. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, however, you are wrong about where they went. Okay. Um, half of them became non-practicing. But the other half declared themselves to be non-Christian. Man. Uh, so that's 10%. went from... 10% of the American population shifted from calling themselves Christians to declaring that they are not Christians. Hmm. That is a crisis of faith. That is a in, an intellectual decision to say, I no longer am a Christian. Yeah. So that that's, to me, is one of the most alarming... Uh, realities we've talked in the in in the past recently about people who are having particularly young millennials who are having these crises Mm -hmm. they point to um, hanky panky in the church that's not being addressed publicly they're talking about hypocrisy Uh, they struggle with some of the old testament views of god and how they reconcile that with jesus sure Uh, they have some some issues uh women the church's view of women um uh, the church's view of sexual practice and what to do with same sex attraction and gender confusion. So, uh, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. I, uh, my hesitation with these kinds of things, right. Um, I, I should have prepared the quote beforehand. There's a quote from, from Galileo that says, um, you know, this, this new generation, they're, uh, lazy. They don't hold to the restrictions and the, and the discipline of the mm-hmm. old ways mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, all this stuff. And that was, you know, thousands of years ago. Right. Socrates, actually, not Galileo. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, 
even this this quote we publish in the newspaper I write for uh, a it happened this week is what it's called and it's for the past hundred years of the newspaper an article that was published oh that's cool yeah uh, by by um, five or ten years back so ninety ninety five years ago hundred years ago and one of them was uh, this church had a big conference called is it was it harder this is in 1930 it said was it harder to be a christian 30 years ago than it is today really yeah and it was in 1930 and it said most people agreed yes and in just the footnote of that that's that, interesting and yeah that was 1930 yeah we had that conversation a few months ago exactly so that's why i'm always hesitant with these conversations about yes. yeah the world's going to hell in a handbasket no one believes anymore because people have thought that for a long long time i would give you that one interesting thing that's in my notes to get to shortly is that this percentage drop is the same for every generation. Hmm. What we're seeing for the first time is uh, the senior generations dropping in their faith. Gotcha. Uh, and which is ironic because as they uh, as they age, typically as you start facing your own mortality, uh, faith right. becomes more right. important, not yeah. less. You see more. <clears throat> you see an increase. Yes. Yeah. So um, here's the good news: eighty million Americans are practicing Christians. That's mm-hmm. what 25% is. Okay. Okay. 80 million Americans are practicing Christians. And that is a statistical outlier among affluent and educated societies. So it doesn't matter where you are, that 25% carries. Is that what you mean? Or no, it means no other educated affluent culture has as high gotcha. as 25% gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. that are practicing Christians. So other Western countries, Canada, the UK, they do not have that percentage at all. Gotcha. So even though things are plummeting, even though things were wondering what's happening, we continue to be a statistical outlier for any society that's practicing our level of education and our level of abundance that still has 25% of their people practicing Christianity. Hmm. That, that really blew my mind. Yeah. And, and I have, that one, I'm I'm definitely drawing on ideas as to why that is for our country. Well, we've been historically, um, you know, we have the practice of free practice of faith. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of innovation going on in the church trying to figure out how to connect the gospel to people of all kinds. Um, but it is a fascinating thing. That is the one uh, good news that we should hold on to. Right. Is, sure. is that we do still have a culture that appears to be more open to practicing Christianity than other cultures like ours. All right. A third fewer Americans attend church weekly now than there were in 1993. So almost 30 years and, and 33% less. Yeah. And regularly is the same, the same definition as they used earlier. Weekly is what they're saying here. And, um, when they used to say regular attendance, it was weekly, but now they, they've changed that definition. We'll get to that in a second. But here's this interesting thing. One third fewer Americans attend church weekly now than in 1993. What's, what, what's your observation about uh, how the church world is demonstrating this? What's, what's going on as that reality is happening? How is the church morphing? Um, well, we, one of the big things we talked about last time was an increase in spiritual interest and decrease in, in, uh, formal religion participation. Yes. So it's not that people are full going, you know, double barrel atheism. It's, it's, it's spiritual curiosity, but not believing that one religion has all the answers for you. Uh, and so is that what you mean for, for as of why, is that what you're talking about? Well, I'm just saying, how does that, how has that shown itself in the church? 
and um, my intuition is that we've seen small churches close their doors mm-hmm. and large churches get larger. So not only are we having uh, a third fewer come, but the churches that get the ones who still go are getting larger and the ones who are suffering the brunt of that loss are closing their doors. Sure. And that's an interesting thing. Now there seems to be another kind of move going on in rural uh, America. Mm-hmm. And, but, but that's uh, even in politics, you know, if you're, if you, if you live in Wyoming, mm-hmm. you basically have almost no influence over the political difference of the political state of our country. Sure. You know, the two coasts get to dominate. They pick who our president is almost every time yeah well that's the it's surprising um in these in big heated cycles like the one we're in now for the Mm -hmm. democratic primary and then for the actual election you just see these states just get blown over even washington's really interesting because we're such a sure thing of a state and we don't all have all those many delegates we're we're not even in the news and it's like well and by the time we're sitting at the poll voting they're declaring winners right exactly Yeah. yeah yeah it's really interesting yeah anyway um as a pastor Part of this conversation is fascinating to me because I'm trying to figure out um, how does the church maximize its effectiveness in a world that's changing like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's continue with some more information that might be uh, really interesting to you. Um, the declines are similar for every generation; they're not exactly the same, sure, but they are very similar. the 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 bar graphs go in patterns, equally down. Um, for example, only eight, only uh, 7% of any of these generations attend church every single week. 7%? 7%. So, um, Bible reading is the interesting outlier. It has remained statistically steady for the last decade. 35% of Americans claim to read their Bible at least once a week. But do not attend church hardly Correct. except for 7%. Right. Weekly, 7%. Weekly. So, so 23% say 20, they read their Bible every week but do not go yeah. to church every week. 28% of, a, of Americans would say they're in church at least once a month. Hmm. That that confounds me. That breaks my assumptions of, of the of The fact that on. they're not going to church but they are reading their Bible. Yeah, because for me it's always been, you know, the, it's, it's easier for me to, to keep the routine of going to church every week within than it is among to read Bible, Bible lapses. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. 89% of Americans say they prayed in the last seven days. 89, 89%. So you have these two statistical strengths that people say they're reading their Bible and they say they're praying. 89% say they're praying. 35% say they read their Bible in the last week. Um, or that they read their Bible, uh, several times a week. Hmm. About um, about eighteen percent say they read the Bible every day, but thirty five percent say they read the Bible more. Well, than even once that a week. eighteen, that eighteen is is more than double the ones that say they go to church every week. Yes, that's insane to me. The ones who say they read it multiple now times this a week. now we're starting to now we're starting to step in the thing that I'm trying to figure out what all this means. Okay, because people are engaged in their faith, but they're disengaging from their church. Right. So. When we talk about, and this is where I want us to spend the bulk of the rest of our conversation, what does this research mean? Um, Why has church attendance dropped almost in half in 20 years? Why? And why is it changing so fast? Mm -hmm. 
What is your theory there? Because they don't offer any answers to these questions. They're just there for, to show they're the just data. giving you the data. So uh, let's spend the rest of our conversation talking about these questions. So why do you think church attendance has dropped in half? It's not totally half, but why mm-hmm. um, in the last 20 years? And 20, why 20% dropped 20% in 20 years. It's dropped. No, it's dropped uh, from 45% to 20%. To 25. Up to 25. So it's not dropped 20%. It's dropped. It's 20% of all of America. Right. But if you take just the church attendance people, it's dropped almost half of those stopped Mm. coming. So why are people coming to church less? Let's just answer it. Let's ask it that way. Well, that's a because to me, that is a different question because my assumption was not that they're still reading their Bible three times a week, five times a week. Yeah, but now you know they are. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. That is the question is actually... Why are why are people why are people yeah why are people who pray and read the Bible going to church less right that's a great way to word the question yeah and um, I honestly have no idea one of the things one of the ahas that I've had in in different varieties of this conversation is the um, service culture uh, and and the seemingly um, the the seeming death of the experience culture. Where I want mm. the service to my home in my home, I don't want to go to experience, and uh, so so church online is a big thing. I don't, and I'd be really interested to know if those numbers are big. Um, but uh, you know, movie attendance is down for, and and that dynamic I think is the same. Where movie I, attendance is down to theaters, yeah, because wow. people are they're streaming in in insane numbers. And why would I go when I could sit on my couch and make a and eat a sandwich? And make a coffee on my coffee machine when they're going to charge me twenty well, now, bucks for coffee. Now the yeah. social answer to this, I that's being shaped uh, not about church but about the experience culture, right? Is we have to change the experience. I have to create an experience you can't get at home, mm-hmm. and so people are defaulting. I can do this at home. I can save money. I can stream Netflix. I can have my friends over. Right. I can build surround sound in my room, and I can have an awesome movie experience right there in my in my house in my underwear. I don't have to leave. I don't have to drive. I don't have to spend mega money for that's, popcorn. That's why people will drive 30 miles to go to an IMAX theater. Exactly. So unbeatable. I have to change the experience. Now you have uh, these love sacks where you can sit in you know the reclining seats. You've mm-hmm. got uh, table service now where they're waiting and bringing food to you. Um, they're changing the movie experience in lots of places, experimenting with how do we get people back to the theater. And, well, and the truth of it is that that uh, consuming the church experience at home is is a, is a counterfeit. It's not. It's not. It can't produce what being there does produce because of the community. Well, let's not be critical of the choice they're making. Let's try to understand why they're making the choice, because they would say, well, "I'm not missing that," or else I'd go back and get it. Right. But I'm just. I'm saying that. If if it's from a strategy strategy standpoint, like mm-hmm. what do we do? It's tough for me because I think just from looking at the the fact, the fact that the church is supposed to be about community, mm-hmm. that that service standpoint doesn't fit, right? Yeah, I think I want to back the lens up because if you look just at church, you might get myopic about what's going on there. At the same time, people have more friends on Facebook than they've ever had. They have more social uh, followers on social media. They're engaged with more people's Instagram. Uh, so they are virtually connected to more people and physically connected to fewer people than ever. Mm-hmm. And they are experiencing, consequently, loneliness. It's not uncommon. You know, when I was a kid, every Friday night, and I was in high school, every Friday night, all my buddies got together and we did something. We go to the movie, we go bowling, we shoot hoops all night and order a pizza. 
you know, we would do something. Mm-hmm. Now teenagers sit in their bedrooms on Friday night and they text all night and they hung out with their friends all night by texting with mm-hmm. them. They didn't actually leave the house. Yeah. Not everybody, but this is no, a growing, yeah, a growing for sure, experience. For sure. And, and, and meanwhile, they're experiencing more loneliness than ever. So, uh, I do think, let me ask you this question. How, uh, how common is it for people, you know, in your age group, whatever your friends, how often do you hear them say, I listen to this podcast of this preacher, or I watch this guy online. They have a church home, but they supplement their, um, their experience of teaching, preaching, whatever mm-hmm. with, uh, nationally known guys from other places. Yeah. Is that a lot, a little or none? Um, there's a, a type of guy that does that in my, in, in, in my your experience. Yeah. Uh, and certain friends I've had, they all, they all fit the kind of type young, um, um, ministry, um, oriented people. Ministry ambitious. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess thinking of the ones that they've all either been ministry majors or with, um, plans to be missionaries. Um, and for me, that is the same thing as uh, faith engagement. It's I'm thinking of these things and I, and I have questions. So I'm going to Google those. I'm going to find podcasts. I'm going to mm-hmm. find a video that to me is the same thing. Not that that replaces Bible reading, but that you you're interested with these, you're chewing on these a lot. That's interesting. And maybe yeah. this is a generational. Mm-hmm. I would say when I think about people who attend our church, who also supplement their faith development with other churches, teaching streams or podcasts of other preachers, I would say the percentage is 50% or more. Say that one more time. I'm, I'm, I lost the 50% or more of what now? Of the people who attend Evergreen. Right. Are supplementing their t- their with, spiritual growth with podcasts and sermons from other pastors around the country. 50%. I think it's 50%. And that's anecdotal. I don't know for sure. But I think this is part of what people are doing is they're starting to feed themselves in self-select ways that don't require them getting to the church anymore. Hmm. And so they are not they're not backing off the Bible. They're not backing off their prayer life, but they are feeding themselves with a variety of pastors and doing a lot of digital engagement. Um, many of them, I would say, also have small groups of friends that they do talk about this with. And this seems all very positive. Uh, yeah, I would say it's not alarming. Mm-hmm. If you pastor a church and you're trying to grow a church, it could be terrifying. Sure. <laughs> But it's not alarming about the spiritual condition. Right, for the individual. Yeah, I think one of the takeaways I'm embracing is that casual Christianity is dying, but committed Christianity is actually growing. Hmm. That people um, people who go all in with Jesus, that percentage, that number is growing. We have an interesting dynamic going on at Evergreen. We're trying as an elder team to understand what this means. Our attendance is in decline. But our baptisms are growing, our giving, uh, the number of donors is growing, and the average gift of each donor is growing. Whoa. So what does this mean? People are giving more money, and the people more who people are more. giving, and each giver is giving more, and they're baptizing, and we're more. being we're baptizing, you know, 120 new people a year. So and our newcomer count is high. Last weekend we had 17 first time givers. Wow. So. Um, what does that tell you? If you if you were to just look at those stats, what does that tell you about what might be happening um, at this local church? Um, well, it seems to me that there's this revolving tension, right? So uh, the um, uh, passionate, real 
um, blue blood Christianity is is there and it and it's attractive and it's changing people's lives and it grows and grows and you have movements like in the um you you refer to it before in the 20s or 40s 20s uh big evangelical movements oh 1919 you know yeah yeah that, that those late teens early 20s yeah right and that turns into that gets so big and the culture gets so prevalent that it creates again fake christianity and then that again deteriorates mm-hmm. until you mm-hmm. get real christianity again and that is attractive again and so maybe on a microscope, on a, a, a much smaller level from that, from the nationwide level, Evergreen, um, big, big, big growth. And then some people will fall away as the people who are really getting their lives changed, you know, stick around and help change other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. getting back to the, to the, not, and, and not to say that the church was full of phonies up until this year. Right. Know, that's right. Not, that's not what I'm saying, but yeah, that would be a hunch. What, what do you think about it? Well, I think that, um, I think that, um, the nature of the relationships Americans have to Christian practice is mm-hmm. changing. So the way a practicing Christian in America practices their faith is changing. Hmm. Um, so um, they're reading their Bible and hopefully more and more. I find that I find that counterintuitive to me because I'm shocked at the level of biblical illiteracy among the Christians that I spend time with. Hmm. Um, if they're reading it, they, they might be reading maybe the promise passages over and over and over again, but to read, you know, the Bible, the maybe promise passages. Yeah. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens gotcha. me. Gotcha. Um, I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope. You know, they may be camping out on passages and chunks of scripture that keep affirming and helping them over and over again, rather than having a comprehensive view of the entire book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And under and letting God speak to them both in old and new proverbs and psalms, prophecy and uh, apocalyptic literature. You know, really just engaging the Bible. Sure. And I'm not critical of that. I'm just saying I think that anecdotally, I would say, if 89 percent of Americans are reading the Bible, I can't understand the level of biblical illiteracy that I'm right. experiencing. Right. Especially so if they're reading it weekly, which right. And that uh, we could account for a lot of this could account with. Um, False reporting. You know, this is these are self-reported stats. That's true. Not, it's that, not hard data. That's a great point because nobody's uh, recording them reading their Bible. Right. Exactly. So, and who knows? Um, if you if people ask, you know, do you work out? Well, if I worked out <laughs> once last month, I'm going to say, yeah, I work out. Sure. So you're right. That that could that's a great point. But what? How would you say? Um, then that people are engaging in active Christianity. What Barna is saying now that a committed Christian. Mm-hmm is attending church 1.8 times a month. Right. Uh, whereas the standard used to be every week. You go to church every week. Yeah. And I I frankly don't know. And it, one of the, the reasons this kind of smacked me in the face is because my values are, are completely flopped with that, where to me, the guy who is reading his Bible even once a week is is he's the real deal because that is the extracurriculars to me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the doing your homework. Yeah. That self feeding is more important than being fed. Right. Or not, if, if not more important, it says more about you. Okay. Uh, then, then the guy who goes yeah. every week. I, so, I think I could buy that. Yeah. So that's why this is kind of, um, shocked me. And I, and I find myself at a, at a loss for explanations. So what I'm starting to lean into is perhaps this is not bad news at all. Perhaps, um, people are engaging in their faith. Although, um, practicing Christians is diminishing. Mm-hmm. That diminishment is primarily around church attendance, not primarily around self-feeding. Because remember the three criteria. You have to say I'm a Christian. 
You have to engage in your faith in private and attend church faithfully. It's the faithful attendance part that is making people fall out of the practicing Christian category into the non-practicing. So perhaps, although half of those who fall are falling out of Christianity That that one is more more, um, shocking. Yeah. I think what they're falling out of is consumer Christianity. If you think that joining up with Jesus is going to make all your American dreams come true and that you're not going to suffer pain and hardship anymore, then when you collide with pain and hardship, you are confused. Yeah, you're like, this isn't the contract This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. So I think that can be confusing, and I, and I attribute much of that to that would be my opinion. Sure. But so, so say this is a good thing. The church has, you know, I guess the options would be to keep doing what you're doing and write out this odd decline but calcific- calcification of the remaining, right, or to change something. And uh, so going forward, and you could either answer this now, depending on your answer, or we could do a commercial break first. What's the what's the game plan with the, with these numbers from a ministry level? If you want to, because the church is important, like mm-hmm. it's it's crucial. So if the the answer shouldn't be let the people stay home and read their books and 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 don't go to church, like unless that is the answer. Yeah. So um, I'm in the formation process of this, but I have what might be a controversial answer after this commercial. Okay. Break. We'll see you guys soon. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, 45, as you said earlier. I'm just going to keep counting until we get to 52 because it shocks me. <laughs> shocks me every time. And the nice round five figure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also just want to clarify a statement uh, that I made about uh, streaming church. Uh, I think that is because um, we, we mentioned uh, feeding. So you're either you're either feeding yourself with scripture, or you're getting fed, or um, I think there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with with uh, um, digital engagement. Ex- exactly, especially as a um, as a necessity. When I'm me and Lindsay travel to Snohomish every other weekend, just about, and when we're up there, we watch Evergreen because that's our church home, mm-hmm. and we watch it online. And uh, I think I, I more mean to stress the importance of the community of the body of Christ in the church building or the warehouse or the home or wherever your church sure, is sure that, that is a crucial ingredient and so if you're looking for a church that to isolate in a room somewhere and watch digitally and that's all your that's all your engagement with other believers that's a, right that's exactly. a blind spot exactly. there. you're gonna you're gonna you're, you're gonna diminish there you need you need more than you that. need you need other people yeah. so uh um but if you're watching church obviously keep doing that i that that's sure. right but sure. maybe find ways to engage fill with the other beings. gaps exactly yeah. with a bible study or a, however you want to do it yeah yeah, so that that's more what I meant. I I was, uh, realized I came off as potentially harsh, <laughs> but uh, okay. Do you have an answer for going forward from here? Well, I do. I I think that I think that church in the future is going to be completely different than church now, mm-hmm. and that what we need to get comfortable with is a variety of expressions of the local church. 
So the church technically is believers. We are the church. Right. But we are a gathering that comes together um, rhythmically to to be the church together while we then dismiss and go live as the church in our traffic pattern. But this, this bringing together of the body of Christ is going to start looking very, very, very different. Hmm. And I think that one of the things churches have to organization, the, the, you know, the, the leadership of the local church needs to get our arms around is being comfortable with what matters. So let's major on what matters and what matters is that people are uh, encountering the living God and bowing their knee to the Lordship of Jesus. What matters is that they are engaged in the word of God and talking to God, walking with God. What matters is they're becoming like Jesus. They are growing and, and being shaped into the image of Jesus. They're experiencing freedom and deliverance, and they embrace the mission of Jesus in their own life. They, they have this awareness that they are not only recipients of grace, but they are to be deliverers of grace as well. Mm-hmm. And that spiritual fatherhood, spiritual motherhood is a, is a part of the DNA of being a Christian. So all of that is what matters, and the expressions of that, we need to open our arms to a wider variety of expressions of that. Yeah. So uh, I think that. So I think the era of the giant building is going away, mm-hmm. although there will always be people who want to worship that way, who want to gather in mega halls and hear a world-class communicator, uh, you know, uh, creatively communicate, have a worship experience that feels much like a massive concert belonging experience there's always going to be an audience for that but the effectiveness of helping people far from god find their way there might diminish or maybe that's the kind of churches that are going to um outrun the others i i i think i don't have the answer so that's what i i confess i'm i'm a student in this conversation not a teacher Mm. Uh, but my first inclination is uh we talk about this in the business world that um, having um, having a mass of customers is way less important than having engaged customers. Sure. So, um, you know, the 80-20 rule we talked about recently, 20% of my clients as a company are, are producing 80% of our revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in a business-to-business world, that's always true. And so uh, maybe the goal is to focus on those 20 I think, too, that the key for reversing the spiritual trend in our country will not be that gatherings at local churches get this new magic formula that makes everybody want to come. Hmm. I think the key is people who are fully alive with Jesus in their faith, reproducing that faith in their traffic pattern. Yeah. So what we need is a movement of people who become deeply in love with Jesus, having their lives transformed by his power and who are now embracing the mission of living their lives for his glory by his strength in them and joining him on his mission to redeem all things. If that happens, it won't look like it looked in the past and they might gather in big buildings or add more buildings, but they might gather in coffee shops and they might gather in living rooms and they might be house churches they might be people who gather in a house and watch a world-class Francis Chan, Andy Stanley, whoever preacher, mm-hmm. and then they turn the video off and they have a, communi- a conversation together and they take communion together and they pray together and they encourage each other. It can look like a thousand different things. There are ways of doing church nobody's thought of yet, and what we have to do is decentralize the idea 
that it all needs to happen on our campus. And instead, we need to feed all these variety of ways for people to be the church. Yeah. My, my first thought that comes to my mind for that is uh, um, the church has an institution that say, say you have that coffee shop group. That is um, that is the church mm-hmm. biblically. Yes, it is not an institution that can uh, uh, has resources to change a community. Do do the work that churches like Evergreen do for uh, the homeless community. There's a yeah that little house church is not going to give a hundred thousand dollars to the city to help right, address homelessness to fund a, a a position. There's a church in Centralia that uh, was able to man I, I I should know the hard figure. It's it's something around twenty five to thirty beds for homeless people in Centralia that they have almost every night. Yeah. It's it's stuff like that. There are a lot of virtues to being bigger. Right. So I wonder, Um, is that a handful of believers could, uh, could, uh, uh, um, compile their tithe money together Mm -hmm. and they could do some things for God with their tithe. Totally. Um, so it's not that that should be the entire expression of the local church. Sure. I think there's going to be a wide variety. I, I think we're moving more and more toward, what the church might look like in China or Asia or politically oppressive places that the church is going to become more organic, fully alive, but in a variety of expressions. And hopefully we're doing that in a land of freedom where we can still have public expression uh, without persecution. I hope that's the case for a long, long time. And to me, it seems like the same trend that, um, you know, we talk a ton about uh, your day job that that is going where, the days of, uh, you know, clocking in eight to five for 50 it's years, going leaving, away. it's gone. Now it's gone. you, yeah. you go to the coffee shop with your laptop, you, you know, work a few hours then you have lunch with a buddy or you go get coffee. Then you work two more hours then you have dinner. Then maybe you finish off with, with doing emails. Mm-hmm. It's just, and, and in the same way where the walls, the lines blur, right. That could happen with the church where the, the, the lines of the church blur. And you actually, you're, you just have this kind of organic, the word you use is very, yeah. I think is good there. And I think pastors and church leaders who embrace this and participate in it are going to, and stop measuring how many people we drew to our campus who gave money to our budget, but instead uh, start measuring how many people were in, were fueling their ministry, mm-hmm. were fueling their discipleship, were fueling uh, their life. Uh, it's going to become where, how do you measure that? Who cares? I don't need to measure it, right? Yeah. I just need to see the kingdom go on. And so I think what's going to happen is we're going to take the ego out of the church world and it won't be about how many people you can collect in one spot. It'll be how much impact you can make in a region together with other churches and with people who don't even claim a church. Like um, if you're a, if you're a pastor who preaches your guts out to your church every week and you find out that half of them are listening to other preachers and they're quoting those preachers more often than they quote (laughs) you, you have to have some humility to say, who cares? They're growing in faith and I don't care. We have to get there and and celebrate anything that looks and smells like spiritual growth in Christ that advances his kingdom further. And so I, I, I'm excited about this era of innovation and change. I think it's going to challenge people who view, you know, you, you felt like you needed to apologize for this declarative statement that uh, digital engagement as a church is not church. Um we have to start thinking differently about that. Mm-hmm. As long as these other components are connected in your life, we won't say declaratively, well, that's not church. Yeah. There's going to be people who look at the way churches practice their church and they're going to, well, that's not church. Why? Because I don't have a building that I own and I don't have a mortgage and we don't have this music team and we don't have these programs. Uh, I think it's going to get, I think it's going to get 
wild and crazy and really fun. I it's I find myself more in the um, traditional category than I thought I was as you kept talking because I think you know you talk to a guy and he uh, uh, you know he he says he says I don't go to church. every every Sunday I go up into the woods <laughs> and that's my church and I and I talk to God through the trees you know yeah. and it's like. And it's, I'm sure it's cultural where to me, it's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, well, it's like, I, I have to know that's that. I, I, what is it? What is that line from the, the show? Um, I happen to know that that's, that's just crap. Something yeah. Like something that. like that. Uh, uh, so, so I have, but see, these, that's a solo. I go in the trees and I have an experience with God sure, and it's sure. my thing, me and God. And that is not Christianity. That is yeah. spirituality, but that's not Christianity. Christianity, the whole new Testament assumes a communal aspect to christianity so so yeah you'd be right and the game plan that's been you know drilled into me raising in the growing up in the church is is um the the process so you uh have a friend you you know your friends first it's not like you're not Mm -hmm. you're not selling them something uh you witness to them through your life and then eventually you say would you like to come to church with me that's that's the right and so so when you and the church being concrete is easy. You can mm-hmm. see it. There's signs to it on the road and you, mm-hmm. and it's almost like you're, you're part of a, you have a Jersey. You're like, mm-hmm. so, so say someone enters is now a Christian. They're like, what I do now, you say, well, let me introduce you to my yeah. team. Put on this Jersey, put on this Jersey mm-hmm. and <laughs> join so, the team. Exactly. And so, uh, and Evergreen's a particularly large church and I have, I don't have a lot of memories of being in smaller churches like we used to be. So, uh, my experience is very particular. Um, Brand specific. Yes. And so I don't, I, I wonder what it looks like in the future mm-hmm. where you say, Hey, come to my group. You don't say come to church. Well, you, you might say, come, say come to my yeah, you shop. might have a friend you're working with and spiritual conversations happen or something. You say, Hey, come to a beer and a Bible with me on Tuesday night. We go to this pub and we sit there with a, with, and we talk about, uh, questions about, about Christianity that trip us up and it's all around the Bible. We want to know what the Bible says. And maybe that's their gateway in. And then you go, Hey man, that's cool. Well, what do I do next? I found Jesus. Well, me and my buddies every Sunday, we go out in our boats and we ski and we play in the lake and then we get our boats in a circle and we have church together. And that's our community of faith. And we pull all of our tithe money and we're supporting missionaries in these two countries and we're helping foster kids find parents in this way. Uh, maybe that's a new expression of a church. And uh, I think we should celebrate any expression that looks like these basic components of the church. Sure. That, that fills the, the needs that a church must to be a church Yeah, yeah. in whatever expression that is. Yeah. What's your takeaway from this whole conversation? I still got a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, um, you know, the shepherd role, the pastor, mm-hmm. you know, in that group of guys, who's the, who's the shepherd. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's tricky. Uh, I wonder who's managing that money. That's a little tricky. Mm-hmm. When I think about it in practice, there's lots of big question marks. Yeah. Um, but I think that it is inevitable, uh, what this, this, this new model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one thing you mentioned was that maybe they watch the speaker because I do think the institution that we're used to is, is unkillable barring a, a massive shift. So like, so like, you know, a Joel Osteen sized church won't is go, not away go away without away. a nuclear bomb or something right, like that, right. you know? Yeah. So uh, those institutions will be around to, and because you mentioned missions, if if we have a bunch of nomadic smaller groups, missions get a little a little mm-hmm. more complicated. They do. So um, a lot of questions, but uh, I like the the optimism that that statistic of of scripture reading is as important as I think it is, um, and that that number's big. That's a big percent. That's a big number. So I, I, it is good news at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I think it's good news and uh, awakening news. Right. Uh, some some models need to shift. There's some engagement that needs to be pursued, so that that half that's falling into non-Christian that we that we stop that from mm-hmm. happening, and we energize the the body of Christ. I sure. Mean, the the average Christian needs to be alive. So here's my stat. Okay, this is this has been I. I called your sister Bethany today. I, I sought the help of a mathematician with this question. <laughs> oh, good. So here's the, I couldn't have done it. Here's though. the notion. If I have three dudes that I disciple for a year, okay, they're new to faith and I help them establish their, their identity in Christ and their life mission with him for a year. Then next year I get three more and all three of them get three more. Okay. You okay. following me? Yeah. yeah. It's and, like a, the dirty words of pyramid scheme. Exactly. And so <laughs> sure. we just start reproducing in this way. Okay. Every year I've got three more disciples, three new disciples, and the three I had last year got three of their own. And everybody's three next year gets three of their own. Mm-hmm. In 12 years, I have to look this number up because your sister sent me the answer to my math. I was asking what would be our impact over 12 years? The answer is uh, 708,588 disciples. If we did that, uh, for 12 years. Whoa. And that's how, that's how the body of Christ grows. Right. That no one can stop that. So the answer to the church dilemma is not better church. The answer is to release the body of Christ where all of us who are these 80 million Americans who are practicing Christians yeah, need to really embrace our mandate to help other people find and follow Jesus. And together, if we just did that to the tune of three a year, for 12 years, we change America. Yeah. Well, that's the, you know, the hot word contagion. That's how it works. How one guy who eats a bad bat exactly. in China can, can <laughs> you know, kill somebody. <laughs> a bad bat. I don't know how it started. That's hilarious. How it can reach here. Sure. Because of how, that's how the yeah. world works. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for, uh, this is a longer yeah. conversation, but man, it's an important one. And we hope it's meaningful to you and, and that it matters to you. As always, thanks for listening. We are, yeah, mega, mega grateful for you listening. Uh, yeah, let us know feedback-wise if uh, you prefer the around 45-minute thing or if you're okay with the big conversations. You Please, all any any and all feedback, very welcome, at info at jimandjohn.com, no H. Uh, or you can message us at, at uh, on Instagram at jimandjohn as well. Awesome. Have a great day.